does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. That apparently is the question that was circling around the Colts complex over the course of the offseason in Chris Ballard's mind, so the Colts have addressed that need with the largest free agency, and to your point, Kevin, not a lot of times that free agent kickers come up on the market, but the largest free agency kicker signing in NFL history coming to the Indianapolis Colts. Question for you, Kevin Bowen, on this Tuesday morning, and good morning to everybody here on Kevin and Query 93.5-1075. The fan will give away numbers you, Mark. coming up this morning as well. But, Kevin, now that Bobby Okereke is on his way out, EJ Speed was not allowed to leave the building, and the Colts have addressed the kicking need. The next thing in terms of where the focus centers for the Colts and free agency is where? Yeah, two guys to me, Jake, stand above the rest, and that would be Paris Campbell and Yanni Kingakwe. Um, Rodney McLeod would probably be next, but again, I think there's a debate there about does he want to play? And then the Colts, you know, they do have some young safeties that they like, but McLeod was a key guy for them once the Nick Cross rookie season turned to kind of a redshirt year for him. But, yeah, it's really boiled down to probably two, maybe three notable names. I mean, you've got some other kind of fringe guys of an Ashton Doolin or a Matt Pryor. But, obviously, with the Matt Gay news, Chase McLaughlin is not going to be brought back. So, um, you know, in just kind of the wee hours of last night, things picked up a bit in terms of getting things settled. Bobby Okereke was a little bit after dinner time, and then EJ Speed and Matt Gay after about 10 o'clock. Again, I know a lot of people will look at this kicker signing and be like, Chase McLaughlin was fine, or was better than fine. Um, If you look at his career, Jake, the question that you would have after last season was, was that an aberration? Was that an outlier? Like, If you look at what he, or how he's kicked in other stops, it didn't look like last year looked. And You know, I mentioned this a few times last season with Chase McLaughlin of like, boy, it's not the prettiest looking kick. But it did go in more often than not. And part of me was like, who cares if it doesn't look pretty as long as it goes in? Which, you know, I I understand people that just fall on that and, and that's the only thing that matters. I think the signing of Matt Gay offers you the potential for more consistency more reliability and this is a guy that I think has always been viewed as a kicker with more of a higher ceiling he was a fifth round pick in 2019 that of course is very high for a kicker he actually was was on it was a COVID kind of insurance policy for the Colts back in 2020 on their practice squad for a couple of months when they had hot rod that was the year when you know a lot of the practice squad was just simply for COVID reasons at kicker and quarterback Uh, But he has missed four total field goals the last two years. Last year, his misses were 51 and 61 yards. So um, he does not miss often. He is a long-distance kicker, and he's also kicked in the postseason. Perfect on extra points, 14 of 14, 12 of 14 on field goals in the postseason. Um, Longer than 50, he's 17 of 23 on his career. Again, I, I'm totally fine with this. Um, you're taking a position that 
was shaky for several seasons, found steadiness last year, and now you're trying to take it another rung up the ladder. I get a lot of people look at the price tag and be turned off by that. I mean, Chase McLaughlin probably wanted something just a little bit less than that, so I don't think it's that big of a difference. And you can clear cap space. Cap space will be no excuse, or shouldn't be any excuse for the Colts. They might use it as an excuse in paying other positions, but it should be no excuse for them this offseason. The the guy that I, and not talking free agency here, Kevin, but we have we have mentioned this before. You specifically have mentioned this on a number of occasions. Uh, I, I don't know that the Colts are in a situation yet where they've got to start getting creative with money. I, certainly, we see that in the NFL where teams, you know, you're like, wait a minute, the Rams come to mind. You know, how are they creating all of this salary cap space? There are ways to kind of maneuver around and, and fudge the numbers, so to speak. But the Colts are not in a position where they have to do that. But should it come to that, Kevin? And I, I, I just think his play regressed and it had a ripple effect but what is the long-term status or for that matter the short-term status of ryan kelly yeah i would probably part ways with him you'd save around seven eight million this year you'd save i think it's north of 12 million next year um and yeah i think finding a starting level interior offensive lineman in free agency is something they need to do even if they bring back ryan kelly i mean who's your starter at right guard is it going to be will fries for another year um, and Kelly's, of course, been banged up as well. That is something that I would look long and hard at. I know Danny Pinter, a lot of you know, excitement has been there about, okay, you know, could he be a center? You draft him in the fifth round. I mean, Jake, if you looked at the centers around the league, probably many of them are kind of in that fifth round yeah, range. I just, you know? It's a position that it just seems so specialized that if you have a guy that, that you are comfortable, and I'm not saying that you're comfortable with the way Ryan Kelly played last year, and especially for the money that you're giving Definitely him. Definitely not for the money. Right. I mean, that's the big question. That's the big issue there, right? But um, I think it's a position, Kevin, that's as important as a lot of them in football that you just don't think about the importance of it. Because in particular in this market, because we were so used to seeing solidarity and stability at that position until we saw Sam Cincitelli there. And then you're like, wait a minute, maybe this is uh, more important than we thought. But I just felt like Ryan Kelly's regression last year had a rippling effect throughout that offensive line. Quentin Nelson's health probably didn't help as well. But you've got to get that position stabilized. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously the Matt Ryan thing, uh, his roster bonuses are due on Friday, so you would think something would happen by then for him. Um, again, what are they waiting for? You know, I, I you don't need to do anything now. So I think what you do oftentimes, and you see this across all sports, I think you often see teams wait until the deadline to make a certain move just in case something wild happens and who knows how you need to react. Again, I can't foresee what that wild situation would be that all of a sudden you would want to bring back Matt Ryan with the amount of money that he's due for 2023. Um, but again, this is not stopping the Colts from doing things now. Like, if they wanted to do stuff now, they could. It's twofold. It's Chris Ballard, again, wanting to be prudent, wanting to be patient. And I think some of it is Jim Jim, Jim Mersey. I do. I, I don't think we talk about that enough. I don't think Jim Mersey is willing to spend upfront money as much as other owners around the NFL. I think that's a big part of this. You know, Jake brought up the Rams earlier. The Saints would fall into that boat of a team that is able to maneuver the cap in, in, in different ways. I just don't think the Colts are 
big spenders, and I think the owner is rather content with that from a free agency standpoint. That's fair. I mean, I, free agency, you know, what did Bill Polian always say? You're paying for somebody else's leftovers? Or, I, that's a paraphrase, but... Yeah, you but know, you know what? Polian did that, Jake, and he drafted a handful of Hall of Famers at important spots. Right. Chris Bauer has not done that at the important spots. So, fair. when you I, don't I do that, that in the draft, you've got to, I think, supplement in free agency more than the Colts have. I'm not asking them to do what Ryan Grigson did in 2013 or 2015, but I think you have had avenues to spend a little bit more early on in free agency, and there's been a reluctancy from the GM and a little bit from the owner in doing that. I just feel like at times, there. I'm not saying it's even specifically the case with, with guys that we're talking about right here, but in free agency, one of the things you always have to ask yourself is why, why is there a hard number on what his existing team is willing to pay him? And it might be because that team is in financial straight. I like get Bobby Okereke. Correct. This year. That's you know? fair, yeah. So I, I look at the Giants and think, okay, that makes a lot of sense in what the Giants did. So yesterday, again, a lot of offensive line movement, not really much on the wide receiver front. Again, those are two positions the Colts, I think, have some needs at. Um, so we'll continue to watch. Can I confess to you one thing yeah. in the NFL that I just don't care about? Sure. I think it has no impact on the NFL this season at all. And I just don't care. I'll tell you in a couple of minutes. How's that? Okay. i got to formulate how I'm going to say it. I'm on the edge of my seat right now. I'm sure you are. Uh, we'll give away some bracket numbers as well. Don't Coming fall up, off the edge, though. Bruce Weber going to join us at 9.30. Zach Kiefer at 9 o'clock. Kevin Aquari here, 93.5107.5. The Fan. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic joins us. Zach, thanks for bumping up to Tuesday with us. Um, it was late last night. Matt Gay, a big contract to hand to a kicker. Chase McLaughlin, in all likelihood now, is not coming back. The Colts are going to upgrade with a Pro Bowl kicker. Uh, your initial reaction when you saw that? I think this is the Colts exercising four years of frustration at the position, right? I mean, going back to that playoff game in Kansas City, just the disappointment of not making those kicks and then the disastrous 2019 for Adam Vinatieri. You roll the dice with an unproven guy in Rodrigo Blankenship for a couple years, and that really bit them hard early this season. You guys remember the tie in Houston in week one. I thought Chase was good the rest of the way. More 50-yard kicks than any Colts kicker in history, although part of that is due to the fact that the offense couldn't find the end zone, although that's not Chase's fault. But Chase was a good kicker. Matt Gay is a great kicker. They don't hit the market very much. And the Colts being the aggressive, the uber-aggressive free agency team that we know that they are, went out and signed them. And, and they have one less headache to deal with for the next couple of years. Did you say uber-aggressive free agency team? Was that in jest? Yeah, are you guys awake over there? I, I, I yeah, know. I'm like, gosh. What, where was the response? Come I, on, guys. Wake up. I Gosh, I, I feel bad for us. I'm like, Zach, can't be serious with that comment. Um, okay, insert laughing after that that comment. Um, we saw it linebacker. I think that went how we expected. Bobby Okereke, just good for him. He priced himself out of Indy. EJ Speed comes back. That leaves, I think, really only two notable in-house free agents. That would be Yannick Ngakwe and Paris Campbell. How do you see those two playing out, Zach? Yeah, I think those are the last two of, of real big consequence. I think Paris is 50-50. I know they want to add some depth at wide receiver. I think it's interesting that we didn't see a single wide receiver signed yesterday. 
And let's be clear, this is not a great free agent class overall. It's certainly not a great free agent class for wide receivers. None of them signed yesterday. And I think you're seeing a little bit, just a little bit of a response from the teams noticing how much these guys have been paid the last couple of years, right? They're almost, almost getting quarterback money. None of these guys are of that caliber. But I think Paris is, I think it's a, it's a coin flip. I think it's 50-50. It depends on what he gets on the open market. The Colts are probably willing to be patient, but they like him. And I think it's going to depend on what he gets from other teams in terms of offers. I've said this all along. I don't see Yannick Ngakwe back. I could be wrong on that, but I get the sense from the conversations that I've had. They're ready to roll the dice with Dio and with Pay at the other defensive end spot. Maybe that's a little bit of a gamble. But again, Ngakwe, nine and a half sacks, that, that tells you that he played great, right? I didn't really feel it last season. Now, a couple of those were at the end of the half or were unblocked. He doesn't. He's not a three-down guy. He doesn't stop the run. I just feel like if the Colts are willing to roll the dice at those young defensive ends, now might be the time to do it because Ngakwe is going to want a longer-term deal, and it's not going to be cheap. Dumb question here, Zach. In terms of the contract that the Colts gave out last night for a kicker, uh, yeah, it's not huge money, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, but it kind of is for that position. Uh, is there any way, shape, or form that that contract is going to be one that is – in other words, do they have absolute flexibility, financially speaking, of not having in any way, shape, or form to worry about the number? I think they're okay. I think they're okay. And look, a lot of – you know, not not to pivot away, but this is a kicker. Like, who's throwing the football to your receivers next season? That's the question. Right. And um, I think that's a fair question. You know, I checked yesterday, and they still at least – from what I was able to gather, have not decided fully on Matt Ryan, which is strange to me. I get that question what seems like every five minutes. Why haven't they cut Matt Ryan? That makes no sense have, to me, Zach. I have I have no answer for you, but I was told that they will make a decision by Friday when, you know, a good chunk of his salary, I want to say it's like 14 or $15 million kicks in. There's there's no logical way to explain him coming back. And, and I'm a big fan of Matt Ryan, the guy. And I thought he was a tremendous leader amid a lot of chaos last year. But financially and football-wise, it makes zero sense. He was benched twice. His arms giving way. He fumbled it a million times. He threw 12 interceptions. It just makes no sense to me. I'm assuming that's going to be the move, but I can't answer the question why they haven't done it yet. $35 million cap hit to be the backup? Yeah, that's just that's just bad football. That's just bad financial sense. It makes no sense at all. Yeah, Zach, fr- Friday is the deadline, as Zach was saying. $17.2 million is the official number on the bonuses he would be due on Friday. Every once in a while, Zach, in free agency, Zach Kiefer is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. Every once in a while in free agency, you have situations where one guy leaves and you say, hey, you know what? Happy for him. No hard feelings at all because it allows for another guy to get reps and you say, I'm happy for that guy because I think that he's going to be able to put himself in position to be the next guy to get paid. And by that, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. I don't think that there can be any ill will on any way, shape, or form on either side about Bobby Okereke walking away. And then um, I think also it's it's a there is a security feeling in EJ Speed who I think has shown an ability to be able to take on an increased role. Do you agree with both those statements? Yeah, really does it work out this smoothly. And I think it was no surprise to anybody in Indy. We've been saying this for a couple of weeks. They were probably going to let Bobby walk and DJ Speed makes sense. And, and you guys have talked about this on your show as well. 
of all the positions Ballard has drafted over the last couple of years, he hits on linebackers consistently. And Shaq Leonard and Anthony Walker and EJ Speed and Bobby Okereke and Zaire Franklin, who had a billion tackles last year. So you feel pretty good about that. You can plug in EJ Speed on special teams as well, and that's really important. And he's a guy who stepped in and played linebacker between the lines on Sundays and played pretty well. And had a lot of talks with Bobby Okereke at the end of the season just to get a feel for his approach to free agency. And he's like, I'm not going to jump right away. Now, he did sign on the first day, but it wasn't the first hour. And he was a little bit more open to coming back to Indianapolis than I originally thought. I thought he might want to be the guy somewhere. And I thought at the end of this season, it was just a disaster. Like, it's hard to go back. But November, December in that locker room were rough. Like, these guys, like Stephon Gilmore and, and Buck, I mean, the losses are piling up. You have Jeff Stein, a head coach. Like, it was not a good place to be in that locker room during that losing stretch. And I wondered, would guys even want to come back to this team? And it was surprising. Bobby was like, look, I really like it here. I really like it here. And we talked about Eberflus in Chicago and his desire to reunite with him. And I talked to a coach with the Bears yesterday. They still love Bobby, but um, obviously they went a different direction and they spent a lot of money as well. But I was surprised at his openness to come back. I thought he might want to be the guy somewhere. He's going to get a chance to play for a playoff team with the Giants. But, you know, Everything, everything with this linebacking core comes back to one guy. Is Shaq Leonard going to come back and play like he did in 2021? If he does, then you have no real questions at linebacker. If he doesn't, then Zaire's going to have to hold it down again and do it this time without Bobby Okereke. He was a really productive player, and I think he only missed one game in four years. That's pretty rare at that position as well. Zach, I don't know how, to use your term, aggressive. Chris Ballard might have been about contemplating moving up in the draft but the fact that so far the Colts have not and they allowed somebody to go ahead and make that move with Chicago do you believe that that is because Indianapolis does not see a quarterback that they absolutely have to have and had to move up for or because simply Chris Ballard does not want to give up assets it's the it's the former Jake it's it's they simply don't feel like there's a slam dunk in this draft and that's not to say they don't like the quarterbacks, but I think, and I've said this on your show, and I talked about this with JMV a little bit, I think at the end of the day, this comes down to the gap, right? It's whatever gap you decide there is between one and two and two and three and three and four, right? Is, is Bryce Young that far ahead of everybody? Is C.J. Stroud ahead of everybody? Where is Anthony Richardson? Where is Will Levis? And if you identify a huge gap, then they were going to go up and get them. They were going to go get that first pick. They really were. I don't think they identified that. I feel like Ballard kind of told us a couple of weeks ago at the Combine when he said, I'm not so sure we can't get our guy at four. And we kind of shrugged it off, but that's exactly the vibe I got talking to some people Friday night after the Panthers made that big move. It felt like the Colts, well, their draft position didn't change technically, but it felt like it got a whole lot worse, right? Because there's another QB needy team in front of them. And they were just like, look, we don't feel any different. They, they didn't feel like there was a Trevor Lawrence or a Joe Burrow in this draft, and they didn't want to spend a lot of assets to answer your second part to go get him. And look, I mean, if you look at the last couple of years, that's the right move. Now, we don't know how these guys are going to play out, and that's the fun part, but you go back to the Jets in 2018, trading with the Colts to move up to get Sam Darnold, who's not there anymore, and he's on his third team or whatever, and more often than not, I want to say I did the numbers, and it was like 70 to 80% of the time a team moves up to draft a quarterback in the first round. It doesn't work out. Now, this could work out for the Panthers, and I hope it does for Frank Reich. But 
the reality is Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are the exception to the rule. They're not the norm. And everyone thinks if you move up to get your guy, you, you answer the question. No, he's going to come in and play. And I don't think the Colts felt like there was a guy worth trading up for from four to one. But we'll see because, look, they were 4-12-1 and one last year, and every decision they make isn't perfect. And they still haven't answered the biggest question with the franchise right now, and that's who's going to be playing quarterback in week one of next season. And I, at this point, what are they going to do? I, I still think they, they, they take a quarterback at four. But their options got a little bit dicier on Friday afternoon. But, Zach, they probably realistically need to get two, right? Because is Kevin and I have talked about this. In your opinion, is Sam Ellinger their veteran backup? Or do they go, does Sam Ellinger go back to three and they bring in a guy with more game experience? Yeah, isn't that a risk? And, and I like Sam, but like, didn't, like, I, I just don't think you feel good about that going into the season, right? If, if he's your one, because. The most important thing isn't who's your one. It's what you do with the rookie, right? And I don't want this team, I don't think this team wants to risk rushing a guy too quickly. That's really important. Ballard said he's willing to let this guy sit for a half a season, for a couple games, for a full year. If this guy needs to redshirt, you've got to redshirt him because this decision is about 25 and 26. It's not about 23. So you need a guy who can come in and play, and you need a guy that's probably a little bit better than Sam Ellinger. And I think a guy like Gardner Minshew makes a lot of sense. He was in Philly with Steichen. I would have liked Mike White. Now, I know he would have been expensive, but he's headed into Miami. They were willing to pay for him because they don't know what's going to happen with Tua. But, look, if you're going to if you're going to have a good backup, you're going to have to pay. And this team needs to do that. They paid Jacoby Brissett a couple years ago about $20 million. To be the backup to Philip Rivers, they've been willing to do that in the past. You're going to have a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal. You need to pay for that insurance. In a way, you did that last night by paying a lot of money for a kicker. So you don't have to be – I mean, I've seen Ballard walk out of the press box before after they missed a field goal. Like, that's how angry he was getting at times when it was getting frustrating. So you paid to take care of that problem. You're going to have to pay for a backup, and you're going to have to pay a little bit more than you probably used to. But um, there's just there's no way you can just throw a rookie in there if he's not ready. You got to have someone in there to hold that down. Plus, I think it's important to get a vet from a different building. You know, someone that's kind of experienced different things, playing more than Ellinger has. All of those things. I yeah. think that'd be beneficial for your rookie. Again, Zach Kiever from the Athletic with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Zach, I want to shift gears to Lamar Jackson, and I don't want to ask you maybe as much of like should the Colts pay. Lamar Jackson, the type of money that he wants guaranteed, and the two first-round picks to send to Baltimore. But let's just start here. Would Jim Irsay pay Lamar Jackson guaranteed money in the $250 million range? I'm speculating here because I have not talked to Jim Irsay specifically about this player. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there's a league-wide push from the owners, a very strong feeling that they want Deshaun Watson's guaranteed money to be the exception, not the norm. And they don't want these quarterbacks to get increasingly important leverage moving forward with these negotiations and to get guaranteed deals. They really, really, really don't want that to happen. And they don't answer to anybody. They don't answer to Goodell. They don't answer the quarterbacks. They want to keep that the way it is. And I don't think Jim Mercer is going to be the one that follows in Jimmy Haslam's footsteps and gives out that kind of money. There's also a very real concern among those making the decisions that the teams that negotiate with Lamar Jackson this week are doing the Ravens a favor. They're essentially setting the outside market for this quarterback. They don't want to do that. They don't want to help the Ravens. And there's also the reality of this. Teams are not going to want to shell out a quarter of a billion dollars guaranteed 
for a quarterback who might play 11 or 12 games a year. That's just the reality. He's finished two straight years on the injured list. I mean, guys, name, name an older quarterback that scrambles. Like, they don't exist, right? They don't exist. And Lamar's one of one. He's a 26-year-old in his prime. He's a former MVP. He's 46 and 15 as a starter, for goodness sakes. There's a lot to like, and he would jumpstart this town in a second. But the other reality is the financials. And we have been explained by Mike Bloom, who runs the Colts cap, that essentially they work on a budget each year. And it's not simply the salary cap. It's, it's X amount of dollars they can spend each year. And this is why they structure the contracts the way they do. The Colts don't usually have a lot of dead money because they structure their contracts very smartly. And they don't have to restructure deals hardly ever because they don't have a lot of money in the back end. The one exception being Matt Ryan this year which is a little bit of a weird situation because of Carson Wentz and the trade and all that. But I just don't see it. And, and to sign Lamar Jackson, if Baltimore is going to pass, I don't mind the first two round, first two, the, the two first round picks because you're going to give up one to draft a quarterback this year anyway. But it's putting 200 to 250 million dollars into escrow immediately, immediately. Jimmer says wealthy, and I know he buys a lot of guitars, but that's a lot, a lot, a lot of money immediately, right away. I don't think the Colts are going to go down that road. Zach, last one for me, and I kind of want you to expand a little bit more on that. How much do you think like Chris Ballard's extremely prudent approach is that is a Ballard philosophy, but also, again, to your point you were making, like Jim Irsay seems pretty content. You know, Stan Kroenke with the Rams, he's willing to upfront a whole lot more money, whether it be for Matthew Stafford or the team that they built to win a Super Bowl. It doesn't seem like Irsay in this market is willing to do that. Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's both. I think Chris is Chris. He's prudent. Mm-hmm. He's patient. To a, to a default sometimes. Look, you won four games last year. Your, your, your approach isn't perfect. And you need to add some talent to this roster. But I also think they operate under those parameters to a degree. And look, like the Colts have spent money. Like they have given big contracts out. But who have they paid, right? Like they paid the, the highest paid outside linebacker a couple of years ago. The highest paid guard last, last summer. They're going to give Jonathan Taylor very likely the highest paid running back contract. They pay their own guys. And I know Lamar Jackson, <laughs> you want him to be your own guy because he's that good of a talent. But I, I really feel like they've settled on this philosophy that if we're going to pay a lot of money and they're willing to do that, it's going to be one of their own. And that's really the, the philosophy on how they're going to build their team. And, I, you know, at the end of the day, let's, let's, let's talk in two or three weeks. I think there's going to be two or three signings. It's not a great free agent class. But if you look at it over time each year, they have spent some money in free agency. They've been very selective, but they've been pretty good. And I would argue they've been better than most teams at finding guys that come in and contribute. Eric Ebron, Justin Houston, Danico Autry. I mean, I could go on and on. Philip Rivers, right? We've hit on a lot of guys in free agency. And that's not always the case around the league. I think the argument may be take more swings. There's been hits, to your point, Zach. You just rattled off many of them, but maybe not as many as people would like. Uh, Zach, thanks for being flexible, man, and moving up a couple days. All right. See you guys. Thanks, man. Half past nine on a Tuesday. Good morning to you, Jake Quarry, along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. Uh, Good morning to Eddie in Silverdale, Washington. He's a loyal listener, Eddie. I was going to say, man, it's 6.30 in the morning over there. Uh, Jake, glad you're on the fan. You've settled in quite nicely. Thank you for using the English language as well as you do. I don't know if that last part is if he's being flippant or if he's being serious. No, no, Eddie's a good dude. Yeah, serious on that. But thank you to Eddie. 
and good morning to you. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, he is a guy that we had on the program, and immediately Kevin and I looked at each other and said, uh, we should have him on every day. Well, that, and I guess he actually got some positive words from the English language out of IU fans this past weekend of the Big Ten Tournament, which I think is a rarity for him. <laughs> he said right. IU fans wanted to come up and take pictures with him. Well, why wouldn't they? He's one of the nice guys in college basketball, Fortunately, right? Illinois and Purdue on the resume don't often lead to that. Bruce Weber, you got some picks from the IU faithful, some picture requests? <laughs> Rafael Davis and I, we were like laughing because, you know, you know, your career, your, you know, whether he was playing at Purdue or, and I'm, you know, obviously at Purdue and Illinois, and I, I don't think we were either. We were either one of us were fan favorites of, of the IU fans. But at the Big Ten tournament, um, we we had fun. They had the you know they we were right in that section where the IU fans were, and a lot of them were talking to us, asking for autographs, asking for pictures. But I just thought it. We both thought it was rather humorous. And how was I? I did want to ask before we get into the tournament, and everything. How was uh, Coach Katie? I saw you were able to catch up with him as well. Yeah, it was it was great, um, you know, to be with him. I, I I sat with him for part of every game. Uh, the three days uh, ran up and just sat with him, and then I hung out with him Saturday night. But uh, you know, he's gotten old like we all have, and and but he's he's doing well, and and he was fired up that the Boilers uh, won the Big Ten championship and the tournament. So he'll I think he'll be in Columbus this weekend and. Hopefully, as they march forward here uh, through the month, Coach, you obviously began your coaching career with Gene Cady back at Western Kentucky as a graduate assistant. So we're talking about forty plus years in coaching college basketball. My question for you is: Is it ridiculous to say that in those forty plus years that this is as wide open an NCAA tournament field as we have seen? Yeah, I would say that. I, I think there's so much. Uh, balance, parity, chaos, whatever word you want to use. And in, in, in the Big Ten, I, you know, obviously Purdue is the most consistent, and that's why they won the league by by three games. Um, and but that next whatever eight nine teams in the middle, you know, were so even. And and if you look through most of the other power conferences, I think you had that in in all of the leagues and and. I'm not sure there's a clear-cut favorite. I, you know, I I just watched briefly after uh, Sunday night all the brackets, and it just seemed like everybody had different ideas, every different thoughts of who was going to advance. And and I guess it makes it's always fun in March, and this even makes it for more uh, for more fun because no one really knows what's going to happen. It's going to be. I think it's going to be a team that just kind of comes out of nowhere and just gets hot and makes a run here down the stretch. You know, I'm going to ask a question that shows why I'm on the radio and you're a guy that coached for as long as you did, right? A a school like Kansas. Kansas, I think a lot of people thought was the best team, at least consistently, or one of the top five. I mean, Purdue's right there, Houston. One of the three or four best teams over the course of the college basketball season. But even Kansas, Coach, when you look at it, they've got, I think, seven losses, and all seven of them by double digits and, like, blowout losses. So it's like a feast or famine thing. Now, you coached. Why is it that even elite-level teams can have games where they are so flat and then turn around and rip off, like, eight in a row? What is the key to having the consistency for six games? 
Well, I, you know, not just for the six games, but the whole season. I think the, the difference this year is you have so many teams with new players, uh, whether they're portal players, you know, your new freshmen, your, you know, the, the transfers, you, you don't have the continuity when, you know, when we made the run in 05, it, it was basically the same team from the year before. And a lot, and even those, most of that group played with, together for the, for three years. So you had that continuity, um, you know, you, you were able to keep that consistency uh, they played together. They knew each other, and I and I and I don't know the exact answer, but that's what I think. You know, right now it looks like because there aren't very, there's very few teams with a lot of guys that have been together, and and I think that's why you have that that inconsistency of of you know the highs and lows of the season, and even like you said, Kansas who a lot of people think is maybe the best team. But I look at them. Obviously, we played them twice and watched them a whole bunch a year ago. And I, I don't think they're anywhere near the team they were a year ago. But they are very, very good. And he's Bruce Weber. Most recently, of course, you're seeing him on the Big Ten Network. Sweet 16 appearances, three different schools, Southern Illinois, Illinois, and Kansas State. And as he mentioned, that big run in 05 with the Fighting Illini. Did you coach any differently this time of year? And maybe coach isn't the right word. Maybe it's like, did you prepare? Did you handle practice differently? Was there any sort of adjustment from a coaching standpoint when you got to mid-March? I think it's the buildup to get to here, especially if you know you're going to, you know, like 05, we knew we were going to have a chance to make a run. So you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared for everything, different styles. Um, you, you hope in, in when you start making your schedule and you know you're going to be good, um, you want to play teams from different parts of the country. You want to play teams that play different styles. So nothing is a surprise. I've said this many times on the network. I think it's really a positive for the league, uh, the Big Ten, that we had more different styles of play. Uh, Matt Painter and I have talked about it. It seemed like everyone played the same way. And then you get in the tournament and you've never gone against different ball screen defenses or, or zones or presses or whatever styles that you may have or you know, teams that run dribble drive or somebody else that, you know, runs a ball stream continuity, uh, those type of things. So uh, you hope you're prepared. You also hope you're prepared for all the last second situations. You want to cover that. And again, that's why usually older players are, are able to be su- successful and consistent because they've gone against these things. And you say, okay, they're icing the ball screen now. Well, they know what to do, you know. You don't have to spend as much time. I think the other thing late in the year, you've got to keep them fresh and happy and, and feeling good about themselves. And um, and that's something, you know, Coach Katie and I and, and all of our coaches that have been part of that program, uh, you know, we we probably had to learn the, the hard way. Coach, you know, he was pretty tough and old school, and, you know, we were practicing three hours at the beginning of the year and, and maybe two and a half at the end. <laughs> So, um, it, it, as it went on, you know, even Coach Katie, I always said one of his best attributes, which people probably find hard to believe, is that he was flexible and he was willing to change. That's why he stayed in the business so long. And, and he even backed down practice. I, I, I would tell you, 
my practices as we made the run in the NCAA tournament, you know, they get down to an hour and 15, and you just got to be sharp, consistent, and get a lot of shooting in because when it comes down to it, the game's pretty simple. If you can put the ball in the hoop, it sure helps. Okay, he's Bruce Weber. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. When you look at Purdue, Coach, obviously they just accomplished, I think, one of the finest Big Ten seasons we've seen in quite some time. As Zach Eady's numbers speak for themselves, how much do you think it's an advantage for Purdue now to get, again, out of the conference where they were tremendous this season, the non-conference schedule, they were outstanding, and now you get to face teams that have never seen Zach Eady and you know don't get the chance to maybe simulate him to some level in practice. The Big Ten teams obviously struggle with that as well, but at least you see him multiple times. How much do you think that can help Purdue over the next couple of weeks? Oh, there's no doubt it's going to help them. I mean, it helps everyone. You're able to run some of your plays that you haven't been able to run that people have taken them away, even though Matt is so good at uh, disguising ways of getting into the post. He's got so many different actions. Um, you know, I think he had to adjust as teams adjusted to them. And then, and that's, you know, he's, I've always said he's one of the smartest offensive coaches I've ever been around. And he takes a lot of pride in that. And he was able to do that. And their, and their guys execute. They, they, they know how to run the stuff, what to run. And, and so now the uh, post traps and uh, all the different actions uh, that people have used to stop them, um, you know, they, it, hopefully they were able to take advantage of. Coach, when you when the pairings come out and you're a head coach and you see your name pop up there on the screen, do you immediately, my assumption would be that you divvy up with your staff, okay, we've got to start diving into film on our opponent here in the opening round, but then you've got to get two assistants that each are scouting the potential second round matchup because you've got basically a 48 hour turnaround. How is that divvied up? How do you anticipate who you are going to play next while not overlooking who you have in the first game? You should have been a coach because that's exactly what we do. We, you know, we, we take somebody says, Hey, I, I know these guys, I got the first game. And then the other ones kind of look at it and somebody's dividing those two games up and, and now, you know, it's it's a little different. We used to have to search for film and find things. I, now everything's on Synergy, and you're able to get all the, the tapes of every game if you want. And then, then we'd sit down and go through. And for me, it's not just uh, watching them. I want to see who beat the team. And then, you know, that's, that's my first thing. Um, I know I talked to Chris Lowry late Sunday night. He already had three seen three tapes of Boise State already, and that was only at, you know, probably like three hours after the selection uh, Sunday, you know, show. So, you know, you're, you're getting into it right away because it comes fast and furious. you got to figure out a little bit of a game plan um, by Monday's practice, what you want to emphasize and, and talk about with the players and, and, you know, moving forward. And you hope by Tuesday you're pretty well set with understanding the team, uh, you know their strengths, weaknesses, and how you're going to try to attack them. I think Indiana, I coach. This is going to sound weird. Indiana to me is a team that I think has maybe the highest ceiling among the local teams. I mean, I think Purdue's outstanding, 
But Indiana, if they are clicking with, if Hood Shafino and Trace Jackson Davis are both playing well together in the same game, Indiana's ceiling, I think, is really high. Now, that's a hard thing for them to achieve, but do they have a bigger fear in Kent State than people realize? Is this a dangerous first round team for them? Yeah, there's no doubt. One, I agree with you on, you know, you get to, I always watch through the years, uh, you know, why do teams get to the Final Four? Well, usually there's a common factor. They have they have pretty good guards, usually a good point guard, but they also have pros, go-to guys. And, they, and it's not the uh, definite formula, but I would say 90% they have, they have guys, um, you know, that can play. My, I know my 05 team, I had five guys that played in the NBA, but I also had go-to guys that could make the plays when it got tense. So they have the two guys and they have them, you know, at, at the point guard position and they also have the big guys. So I think that makes them even more, um, you know, explosive and, and, and tough to deal with, but there's no doubt. I, I, I've talked to several guys that played Kent state, uh, my former coaches, friends that, you know, that played them in the year that are in the mid American conference or played them in a non-conference and, and they're, they're a legit team. They, they, they have a uh, good guard play. They have some toughness and they have bodies inside that can deal with Trace Jackson Davis. Now they haven't faced anyone like him. So, um, and not many people in the country have faced anybody like him. So that, you know, it's one thing to say, Oh, we're going to do this and that. But you know, when he starts maneuvering, he's so athletic and quick, um, you know, I, 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 it makes it tough to deal with. So uh, they have uh, they have the weapons. They, it, you know, that they are tough to deal with. But at the same time, I think Kent State has a good team. They're tough. They defend, and and they have enough depth to to maybe deal with them. You know, the other thing you had, I think, Coach, and you tell me if this is off base. I, it's wonderful to have a Darren Williams, right, and to have an NBA lottery type player. And Indiana has that in Jalen hood Shafino. But I think it also helps a guy that, that that every team needs is like a D. Brown. Just a guy that, say what you want about like their pro prospects, whatever else, they're not worried about it because they are just a hell of a college basketball player that is a mature guy on the floor that you kind of feel like everything stabilizes when they're out there. And when you have that yeah. in a senior player, regardless of, of seating, you've got a chance. Yeah, that leadership, that toughness. We were very fortunate. You know, Darren was uh, all my, I said, all five played in the, in the NBA at some time in the starting five. So they were all pretty good. And he was National Player of the Year. But they also had the, the experience. They had the toughness and that leadership. We had such great leadership from D um, and and also from Darren. We were, we were very fortunate. And I was, to, you know, so it. It makes it a lot easier on coaches if you have that experience, like you're saying. All right, Bruce, before we let you go, and again, Coach Bruce Weber is with us here. Uh, you see him on the Big Ten Network, of course, tons of ties to the state, particularly to Coach Gene Cady. Uh, when we had you on a month ago, great stuff. We kind of focused a little bit on Tyrese Halliburton, and you coached him on the U19 team. Um, back a few years ago. Uh, you certainly expressed an interest to not slamming the door shut on coaching again in college basketball. We see some prominent openings right now around college basketball. Have you been fielding any calls on that front? Still have that itch? Uh, you know, there's some little things that have happened, but nothing definite or, you know, we'll see if it's the right thing. It works out. That'll be great. But if not, 
um, you know, I've been very fortunate to be in the business a long time and, and now to have that opportunity with the Big Ten Network, it's been fun. And, you know, I, I, I told you before, I love coaching and I love practice and being around the players. And, you know, if that opportunity would come up with the right place, we, we would definitely look at it. But nothing, nothing yet. So I did come in to the Pacers game a couple of weeks ago. I saw well, it was more than a couple of weeks, but saw uh, Tyrese and got to hang out with him and his mom and, and visit with them. And they played the Cavaliers, one of my uh, K-State guys, Dean Wade. Sure. Was there? I made the drive over and got to see them on a Sunday afternoon. So that was a blast, and um, you know, just love Tyrese and and what he's about, and hopefully he's a longtime Pacer. Coach, lastly from me, uh, maybe it's Iowa State, Tyrese Halliburton's alma mater. Maybe it's Kansas State. I don't know. Give me two teams. <laughs> give me two teams that you haven't heard a lot about this year that people need to look at on the bracket and say, you know what, these guys can make some noise. Oh, I don't know about that. I, 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 oh, I'm trying to think here off the hand. I haven't. I'm not the guy on the national one like ESPN guys. I focus on the Big Ten. I, I really, uh, I, I've said many times. I think there's three or four teams that um, in the Big Ten that can get to the Sweet 16, and then anything can happen there. I believe. Um, I think you got Big Ten. Obviously, the the big. Big 12, you know, teams like, uh, I think like a TCU might be a team that could surprise somebody if they're healthy and then the right mindset. And, um, you know, I, I guess I don't know if it would be a surprise, but I can see Texas. They, they uh, When you talk about old and go-to guys and point guard, I think there's somebody that could make a long run in, in the tournament. Coach, we appreciate the time as always. Look forward to continued watching your coverage of the Big Ten and college basketball, and certainly if coaching is in the future as well, wish you the best in that. But always enjoy having you on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great stuff right there from Bruce Weber on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We'll end it giving out a few numbers, 317-239-1070. If you want to join our NCAA tournament game, gift card to Jay's Lobster over in Bottleworks.